Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. We're going to pick up in chapter 27, somewhere around 14. I think we got part of the way through. And 14 says, and the, and the Levites will speak with a loud voice to say to all the men of Israel. Do you know, let me just refresh your memory of where he's talking about. He said, when you're going to go in to, the, to this land, what I want you to do is go into this valley. Uh, and on one side is Mount Ebal, and on the other side is Mount Gerizim. And I want you to take a representative of each of these six tribes and send them up onto Mount Ebal. And then I'm going to take the, the leaders of the tribes of these six tribes and send them out to Mount Gerizim. And then we're all going to stand in the middle uh, with, the, with the ark and the priests and, and the Levites. And, and they're going to pronounce all the curses and you're going to say amen. And then they're going to talk about all the blessings. And that's what we're going to look at today. And so... Um, one mountain was designated the mountain of curses, and one mountain was the mountain of blessings. And so Ebal was the mount of curses. And according to Jewish tradition, Mount Ebal was rocky and barren. And Mount Gerizim, the mountain that was going to have all the blessings pronounced from it, that mountain, according to Jewish tradition, was lush and green and fertile. And so it kind of punctuates the idea that disobedience came with curses on the barren a rocky hill, whereas obedience came with blessing, which was represented by the lush, green, fertile uh, hill of Mount Ebal, uh, Gerizim. Do you know you can actually go to Google Earth and look at this area? The city right now that's in between, it used to be called she- Shechem. Shechem! Ma! <laughs> Shechem! <laughs> But now it's called like Nabul, I think. And you can find it right there. But you can actually see the valley. Those mountains are only about 3,000 feet. They're not like the Rocky Mountains. They're like mounds, right? But there's a big valley in between. And that's where you could see where all the people were there. Remember, we're not talking about like 70, 80 people, 100 people. We're talking about like 3 million people. In the, in the middle of these two mounds, of these two valleys, you can actually see it. Go to Google Earth and look and see the, the hill over here and the hill over here and all the people in between. And it created this amazing a- amphitheater. Whereas when they were shouting, it would be echoing back and forth uh, across the, the mountains and through the valley. It was, was a kind of a neat place that God picked to be able to express his uh, commandments. And so it says... Again, in 14, that's what we're looking at. The Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, cursed is the man who makes carved or molded images and abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of, of the craftsmen and sets them in secret. Okay, so we're going to see this word over and over again, cursed or cursed, cursed or cursed. I'm warning you, I might say either way. Blessed, cursed, blessed, cursed, same word, same spelling. It's just one's fancy. Now, when you think of the word cursed, I don't want you to think like Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii, kind of card. I know, I know many of you, because I, I know you're my age and we all watch the Brady Bunch go to Hawaii and Greg got that little idol around his neck and he surfed badly and then there was a big spider and a shield fell and all the things because it, the thing was cursed. It, it brought curses on whoever had it. It's not that. 
okay? These aren't curses that someone puts on them. They bring them on themselves by not being obedient. In fact, they're not uh, curses, but more like consequences. I want you to think of these curses as consequences that he's going to say, because of your choice to be disobedient, there are consequences associated with these choices. Because God is telling them these things before they even happen, they're almost like warning signs that God is giving them. For example, if it was like if you went to take the elevator from the 10th floor and the elevator door had a sign on it that said, elevator out of order. It's a warning sign. Now you in that moment have the choice to say, well, I don't believe in this sign and I'm just going to make this choice. And you step in and psh, consequence. Or you can say, I trust the person who put this warning sign on the elevator. And so I'm going to choose not to transgress. I'm going to be obedient to the sign and I'm going to go and I'm going to take the stairs. And in doing that, in taking the stairs, there will be blessings. I can't think of any blessings of having to take 10 <laughs> flights of stairs, but I'm sure that you'd be healthier, your heart rate goes up, you might meet somebody else who's coming up the stairs thinking, I can't believe that elevator's broken. You're like, yes, but think how healthy you are now. And, and, and so you've blessed that person and all the blessings that would go along to being obedient. It, it's better for you to take the stairs. It's healthier to take the stairs. But if you were to say, I'm not going to follow this warning sign. I'm going to choose to take the elevator anyway. And then you step in and there's no elevator because as the sign said, the elevator is out. There's a consequence. In this case, the elevator, dire consequence. For them, also, in many cases, dire consequences. So as we go through and you see the word cursed, this is what these, God is saying. If you choose to go against the thing that I'm warning you against, there will be consequences attached to it. This is what he says. So right here, this very first one in verse 15, he's talking to the man who makes a molded image, an abomination to the Lord. And so once again, what are we talking about here? What is God, through Moses, warning them against again? Idol worship. Over and over and over, you think, holy smokes. I didn't say holy cow this time, actually, which would have fit right in with molded image. Once again, he feels it's necessary to warn them against idol worship. Now, remember, they're going into a pagan land that is just filled with false gods and idol worship. And God knows, he created us, he knows us, he knows what our weaknesses are. And one of our weaknesses is looking around and saying, well, why can't we just be like everybody else? They all seem happy. Look what they have, ceremonies. They have statues that they could take with them. They have things that they care about deeply and they seem happy. Why can't we just be like everyone else? And God says, because you aren't to be like everyone else. I've called you out. You are different. You're my people. One of the things that makes us different, he says to them, is you don't worship idols. This is a thing that they will struggle with forever forever. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to turn right on over to 1 John. It's like one of the last books of the Bible that he wrote. 1 John chapter 5, the very last verse, 
1 John chapter 5, verse 21, ends his letter by saying, little children, keep yourself from idols. This is 2,000 years, 2,000 years. And he's still telling them to keep themselves from idols because I don't, why? Why do we want idols? Well, I mean, I'm sure we're all sitting here and we're like, well, I don't really worship idols. <laughs> I mean, I don't have any statues, cows or things like that, you know, molded images that I'm bowing down to in place of God. Um, well, uh, I was talking to my friend Steve this Saturday, and in his version, he has a slightly different version of mine. His says, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. <sighs> Oops. I can tell you right now, I don't have a golden calf at home that's taking the place of God's place in my heart. But there are days when there are things that are taking first place in my heart and they're not God. And those are the days that, you know what, you get to the end of that day and you're like, man, why am I depressed? Why am I miserable? Why didn't today go well? And God is like, <clears throat> how many times do you need to be warned that if you put something else in place in your heart before God, there are consequences. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to fall down an elevator shaft, but it might mean that my day is wrecked because what I'm trying to do is put something else in God's place. And what are those things? What are those things? Could it be money? Could it be like, I got to, I, I, you know, could it be, I've got to get just the right position? If I raise to this, if, if I get to this place in my career, if I make this much money, if I have my 401k and my retirement plan all set, then I don't have, you know what, it just occurs to me that that's what we say, isn't it? We say, you know what, so that I don't have to worry about my future, I'm just going to make sure my retirement plan is really good. So when I get into those retirement days, I don't have to worry. And I think God looks down and says, I'm your retirement plan. I'm your retirement plan. I'm the reason why you don't have to worry. God says, God says um, you know, in, in his word, it says, oh, well, like, don't worry about what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to do? He says, um, cast your eyes on me and I will give you all of those things. I mean, that's a, that's a paraphrase, but that's what it means. And yet we still, we look, we look to our, our retirement plan. We look to our financial stability. We look to the, our family members. We look at our kids. If I could just figure out my kids' future for them, then I'd feel secure about that. That becomes an idol. Anything that takes the place in your heart before God, he says, keep away from those things. I mean, so I'm comforted a little, a little bit that they also have struggled with this because I can look at my life and be like, you know what? There are days when I struggle with this, but then I can say, you know what? I'm just turning this over. I just, I'm going to surrender. I surrender this. And there was a phrase that keeps coming up in my mind all week as I was doing, uh, we were doing our um, Bible study at home with our kids and, and I wrote this in my prayer, Lord, I surrender what? And I can't remember it, honey, but help. Deirdre, what did I say? <laughs> Lord, I, sur I surrender to the freedom of your lordship. It's an oxymoron. 
the freedom of your lordship, the liberty of your lordship, to say, look, I am freer because you're in charge of me. It seems weird to say it, but when I do that, that is when I feel the freest. When I surrender my freedom to his lordship. Because he is good. Because he is love. Because he cares so deeply for us. In this verse, it says that he sets it up in secret. Did you notice that part? You know what that means? That he set it up in secret? He knew it was wrong. It says, it says, cursed is the man who sets up an idol in secret. If he didn't think there was anything wrong with it, why would he do it in secret? He's doing it in secret because he knows it's wrong. And yet he still does it. Yikes. You ever do that? You ever do something you know you shouldn't do, but you do it anyway? <laughs> Not me, ever. I never do that. <laughs> but Jan does. Thank you, Jan. Hey, you know, but here's the thing. If he's doing it in secret because he knows it's wrong, but it's still in secret, how would anybody know if he was doing it? How would anybody know if it's in secret? God knows, doesn't he? Jesus would say there isn't anything hidden that stays hidden. There isn't anything that isn't revealed that won't be revealed. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that maybe something that you've done in secret that you know you're not supposed to do is just going to become overwhelming? Like, have you ever had to, like, try and keep a secret? You know, something, something that you didn't want anybody to know, like something that you, you've done that you, you've done in secret so no one would know, but then it just starts to eat away at you, and it's just like, you know, why is everyone looking at me? Why is everyone looking at me? Stop looking at me. And no one's looking at you, but you're becoming paranoid. You know, and I read a short story when I was in high school. Maybe you heard about it. It was called The Telltale Heart by Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe. You ever hear about that story? So a quick, quick synopsis is about this guy who has this you know, friend or neighbor, this old guy, and uh, at first he likes him, but then as he kind of gets to know him, he says, the guy has a vulture eye. I don't know what that means. Nobody knows what that means. Maybe he just looked at him funny, or maybe he was always critical of his life. Whatever it was, this old man had a vulture's eye, and it started to drive this guy crazy. And so uh, he spends the story, by the way, telling you how not insane he is. Um, you know, I, I mean, that seems like a warning sign when someone tells you all the time, I'm not crazy, I'm not crazy, I'm not crazy. They probably are crazy. <laughs> he literally devises a plan to kill this man. He goes into his room every night while the man's sleeping just to see if he could creep in quiet. And so one night the old man wakes up and looks at him with that vulture's eye and said he kills the old man to put a, put a stop to the vulture's eye. And he cuts up his body and he takes up the floorboards of his house and he buries his cut up body under the floorboards. He's like, ha I'm amazing. I just killed a guy. No more vulture's eye. No one. And then like the next day, police are at his door because the neighbor heard the old man yell out. And so they're investigating. And the guy is sitting there talking to the police, very confident in what he's just done. But the longer they stay there, the more the secret begins to eat at him. In fact, he starts hearing the heartbeat of the man that he's buried in the floor, which, by the way, is impossible. His heart wasn't really beating, but it was the secret that he was keeping that started to eat away and eat 
away until he couldn't take it any longer. And he admitted the whole thing. The police were basically like, all right, thanks very much. And they're leaving. They're like, ah, I did it. I killed him. He's buried under my floor. Because he couldn't keep the secret anymore. And what was done in secret was revealed. Has that ever happened to you? Anyone ever killed a man and hid them under the floorboards? (laughs) No, but likely we've all done something that we didn't want anybody else to know and we've tried to keep that secret and it starts to eat at you and eat at you until in some way it becomes revealed. And sometimes, you know, people literally like break out in hives or they get a rash or they, they just, their whole attitude, they just like become so depressed or, or manic or whatever it is because they're holding in some kind of secret, trying to hold in the secret. Or You've done something and you've got a lie about that. And so think of that lie as uh, like a ball that you've got in the air and you're tossing this ball and you're like, I could totally handle this. This is no problem. But then to cover up that lie, you've got to tell another lie. And now you've got, all right, this isn't too bad. This is not too bad. I can do this. Then another lie. And then you've got three and you're like, oh, I've got the thing that I did. And now I've got three balls in there, three lies going to support each other. And pretty soon it's four and five. And it's like, and you're trying to, have you ever, have you ever juggled more than three balls? It's super hard. You're like, you, you, you've got to watch. Now all you're doing is you're focusing on the balls. You're not seeing anything else going around you. You're completely focused on the lies until what happens? You drop them and it's all revealed. And they go all over the place. And it's messy. And so this lie that he's doing in secret here, what the Lord is saying in his word is that there isn't anything done in secret that doesn't somehow become revealed. Now, maybe you're a mastermind at keeping secrets, burying people, and juggling balls. I don't know. Maybe that's your talent. And maybe the other people in this room will never know. But God will know. God will know. He says there's nothing that's ever done in secret that isn't going to be revealed. And so when it says that this man does this in secret, he's going to be cursed. Maybe it's the curse, the consequence that he brings on himself. Maybe it's just the knowledge that he knows that no one else but God knows, but that's more than he can handle. And it says, and all the people shall answer, amen. So what we're going to see is as they go through the next several verses and they talk about the curses, they'll, they'll shout out the curse and then all the people were to answer, amen. Now, amen isn't just the word that you tack on the end of a prayer. That's what we do. But amen, it kind of means like, so let it be. Um, so it's not just they're uh, saying, yes, we heard the words that you spoke, but it is like their affirmation of we hear what you're saying and we accept what you're saying, which means we accept that if we do what it is that you're calling us to do, there will be blessings. And if we don't, there will be consequences. We accept that. They're going to affirm that each and every time when he talks about, and he says to them, this is what you will do. He tells them, this is what you're going to do. Okay. So they say, amen. And then it says, cursed, cursed is the one who treats his father and his mother with contempt. So we've talked about this a couple of times, right? The idea that this is one of the commandments. Do you know which one it is? Anybody know which commandment honor your mother and your father is? It's number five. Five. Number five. That's okay. You know, the, also the one about not having idols, that's also a commandment. You know which one that one is? It's number two. It's number two. I can see we're going to have to go back into Exodus. <laughs> hmm? 
So, so far, the only two things he's mentioned are two commandments that he's already given to them that they all confirmed and then has been repeated again. And so he's saying you're supposed to um, treat your parents with respect. That's what it says. Cursed is the one who treats his mother and father with contempt. Now, the way this is written, though, in Hebrew is not that they're outwardly treating their parents with disrespect or contempt, because as we saw just a few chapters ago, if that were the case, if you were belligerent, if you were um, not listening to the advice and the teachings of your parents, if you were lazy and a drunkard, uh, your parents could actually bring you to the elders of the city gate. They could stone you right there in front of everybody. When this, in Hebrew, the the grammar um, says that this is an like an internal thing. So just like the guy that creates the idol and it's done in secret, this also is almost like you're treating your parents with contempt from the inside. It's like a heart issue in secret. And he says, you're not supposed to do If you do that, it will have consequences. And all the people shall say, amen. So shall it be, so be it. However you want to say it. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. Now, we talked about this really just recently. He already said point blank, when you come into the land and you, and you establish boundaries for each farm, don't go and move your neighbor's landmark. And so remember we talked about this. They would like at nighttime, they would go out and there was possibly they would like move the rocks over a few feet, and then, and then they would go home, and then the next night they might go and move it a few feet more. And what they were doing was expanding their own territory while shrinking their neighbor's territory. And so he says, if you do this, there will be consequences. Well, like nowadays, if I was to go into my property at home right now, and I was to move my border... Um, there's an HOA, you see, and there's plans. And they would look at that and be like, um, why, why is your lawn furniture over at, in your person's you know, patio? And be like, I don't know. I just got up one morning and it was all over here. So we, we probably aren't likely to be going out in the middle of the night and moving our fences so that we're taking over sections of our neighbor's land. So what could this mean for us? Well, this is what I think. Don't advance your own situation at the expense of someone else. Don't advance your own situation at the expense of somebody else. So think about it. If you're pursuing a career path or um, you're in line for coffee, <laughs> do you ever go in and there's just like, like you go into Einstein Brothers and you're like, oh, I got like five minutes and you go in and there's like 12 people in front of you and you're like, what if you said, did you guys see that out there? And everybody goes and runs to look out the window and you just like walk up to the front of the line. Now what you've done is advance your situation at the expense of everybody else. You've moved the border, okay? So anything God's saying, do not advance your own situation at the expense of your neighbor. Or there will be what? Consequences. Okay. And all the people shall say, amen. Let's just try it. I'm going to say, and all the people shall say, amen. amen. Let's do that one more time because you guys weren't all together and I really want to hear And all the people shall say, amen. amen. Excellent. Wow, that's going to be fun later on as well. All right. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road. Who would do that? 
Who would make the blind to, to keep going just a little bit to the left now? Oh, wait a minute. Who would cause the blind to wander off the road? Now, first of all, I have to tell you that if God is telling them not to do these things, it's not as if God is just randomly making up stuff. Remember, God's standing outside of time. He sees everything. So as we read through uh, this week and next week and we go through all of these things that he's warning them against, it's because he's seen the future and knows they will do all of these things. Oh, and it's tragic. But he says, don't cause a blind person to wander off the road. Well, you can think, well, finally, there's one that I, I would never cause a blind person to wander off the road. I would never, ever do that, right? <sighs> Have you ever purposely misled someone away from the truth? Have you ever misled someone purposely away from the truth? And if you're sitting there thinking, nope, haven't done that. Well, I'm not talking about an outright lie. What I'm talking about is holding back some of the information in hopes that the direction that they go in might be this way from the actual truth. The answer, the example I always give, and, and I have to, I have to, I have to state this for my wife that I don't do this anymore, but I used to do this. When my wife would say, what did you have for lunch today? And I would say, chicken. Now, my hope is that I'm leading her away from the fact that it was fried chicken with fries and soda by simply saying, chicken. My hope is that I will mislead her from what the truth is to some other truth, truth, some other answer that she might accept. And what have I done? I've just led a blind person to wander off the road. You ever done that? Is that just me? Anybody ever done anything like that before? Because there are consequences to that. There are consequences. In my case, and, and then especially, I could just sense that God was standing behind me going, Really? You know what? You know that's not the whole truth. The whole truth. You know when you go into court and they say, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? The whole truth. The whole truth. I mean, so often, like, do we hold back facts? Are you holding back? Oh, just, I mean, it's not an outright lie. I'm just holding back some of the truth. You're causing a blind person to wander off the road. That is what... We do, and there are consequences attached to that. And all the people shall say, Amen. Purposely misleading someone. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due to the stranger, the fatherless and the widow. You know, this really is very self-explanatory. Everyone is entitled to, the, to justice, regardless of who they are or what their circumstance is. And all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Now, 20, 21, 22, 23, these all have to do with um, the, the purity of sexuality. Remember, we've spent already several weeks talking about sexual purity and the God's design for it 
and the proper place of it and then the consequences that are attached to it outside of his design. So he says, cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. Remember, he's not talking about his own mother. This is his father who has married another woman. And he's saying anyone who goes in and lies with your father's wife there are consequences to this. Don't do that or else there are consequences. And all the people shall say, amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal. Now, there must be a moment here where everyone is like, what? Why is that there? Remember, they're going into a pagan nation where this is actually practiced. And I am telling you that these practices that we read here, these people will also partake in later on down the line. But many of the pagan rituals involve some kind of animal and some kind of sexual practice. And so he is saying that the person who does this, the person who lies with an animal, there are consequences to that. And all the people, I'm sure very quickly when he said that, were like, amen. Amen. Cursed is the one... Uh, cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or the daughter of the mother. Now, I can't help to wonder what is going on that the animal one comes before the sister one. What's going on in this pagan land that he has to tell them, warn them about not lying with an animal before he has to warn them about not lying with their sister? Um, But there it is. You're not to lay with, the, with your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother. And all the people will say, amen. And cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law. <laughs> Jeez. And all the people just said, amen, and we move on. And we move on. I'm thankful that this one did not come up in family church next week. It's <clears throat> okay. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly. Again, you see this secretly. Every time you see secretly when it comes to this, it's they know it's the wrong thing to do, and yet they still do it. They're doing it secretly. Now, what he's saying is you're not, they, they, they <laughs> bleh, bleh, bleh. I'm still stuck on the mother-in-law. Give me a second. <laughs> And what he's saying is to them specifically and literally, you're not supposed to hide. And as your neighbor comes, attack them and stab them in the back so that you are, uh, you know, possibly killing them, but cutting them down. And so obviously, again, we would look at that and say, well, I'm not in danger of doing that. I'm not going to, you know, hide behind the door and stab my neighbor in the back. Huh? Okay. Probably not with a knife, but your words are sharp. Oh, everybody knows. <laughs> There's like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm, right? We kind of touched on this before, but the idea of like hiding behind the door and attacking your neighbor, attacking your brother is like us saying, you know what? Um, I'm going to talk behind their back. Now, no one says, I'm going to talk behind their back, but everyone kind of has that idea. It's like, you know what I heard? Or, you know, I got to, you know, and, and we try to phrase it in a way that is like, um, you know, this is what I saw there, and they act like this, and I can't stand it when they do this, and I'm like, but let's pray for them. And we try to cover it with a let's pray for them. But you got to be very careful. If you truly are trying to get to a place where you want someone else to come alongside and pray, then be careful about the kind of details that you share. Um, but make sure you're not doing it in a sense that so that you are cutting them down or stabbing them in the back, hiding uh, behind the door, ready to attack them, right? 
And all the people said, Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person. You know, this is uh, literally what it sounds like, is that someone else paid someone to kill a, a, a friend or a neighbor. It's like a hit. They put a hit on somebody saying, look, I will pay you money. To, for, I can't kill them, but could, could you kill them? And I'll, I'll give you money. So it's, it's, you're not supposed to attack the person that says here, but, you, uh, but also the person that you're paying to attack them. Also, that's also a bad thing. There's nothing that we would look at that and say, well, that's, uh, that's, no, that's a gray area. No, that's a bad thing. Taking a bribe to kill somebody, that's a bad thing as well. So all, all of the mob... They all are covered by this one verses. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. And so he ends this section by saying, um, um, you know, all the people are there. And what, uh, and, and what are all the people saying every time he makes a statement, every time he says, cursed is the person who does this. And all the people said, amen, which meant that they were saying, we've heard what you have to say and we uh, affirm it. And so shall it be in our lives too. And so they're saying, yes, we've heard and we will do. And if we don't do, then let those curses, let the consequences fall on us. Um, and in a sense, what he's saying here in this last verse is, uh, above all, or uh, encompassing all of this, is the one who does not confirm all the words of the law. And look what it says, by observing them. And so that means that they all could have been sitting there saying, amen, 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 amen. Look, just listen, and everybody else is saying it, and I'm going to say it too, so that I look like everybody else, that I sound like everybody else. But the difference is they, they confirm it by, by observing them, which means that they're not just saying yes and amen, but they're actually saying, I'm going to do the things that it says to do, and I'm going to not do the things that it says not to do. And when I read this verse, I just wrote a note real quick that says, um, uh, this is a fake, false confession of faith. A false confession of faith, like saying, but I totally am a Christian. I go to church all the time. I, I'm just like all of you. I'm a Christian. Yep, I sit here in church all the time. But you are not keeping the commandments of the God. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And oh, by the way, my commandments are beautiful and wonderful, and they're not burdens. I think I have a verse on that. In the same chapter of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 3 it says, for the love of God, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Remember I said last week that the things that he's telling you to do or not do, they're not hardships. They're actually blessings. So, so God says, if you keep my commandments, um, there, it's, there's a blessing within the keeping of it itself, right? Don't kill each other. Don't cheat each other. Don't lie to one another. Help each other. Respect your parents. Do all these things. Remember, he said, so it will be well with you. These are the blessings. But on top of that, there are blessings on top of being blessed by those blessings. That's a lot of blessings. And God says, my commandments are blessings. They're not burdensome. It's not like you say, like, oh, man, I got to do everything that God says. It's such a drudgery. It's such a hardship to keep all this. And he says, it's not hardship. It's blessing. But if they're sitting there and they're saying, yes, yes, amen, amen, and then they don't do any of it, none of it meant anything. You can sit here and you can have a Christian t-shirt and a Christian fish on your car and you could sit here every single week. It can be like, that was a good sermon, Pastor, as you walk out of here. And I'm thankful for that. I really am. 
but it means nothing to me if you aren't actually a believer. If you are saying you are and you're not, you're hurting yourself. You're still going to hell. Oh, that breaks my heart. And if you come to me and you say, yep, I'm a Christian, I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe that you are because you've just told me that. And uh, I'm going to trust that as you go out of this place, that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. But only you and God know whether that's true or not. Only you and God know whether you're making a false profession of faith. And there might be some advantage to that here on earth. There might be some advantage to saying, you know, oh, yep, I'm a Christian. I, look, look, I've got a shirt and everything. It says Jesus on it. But ultimately, eternally, it's not a blessing. In fact, it's a huge consequence. Because the Bible says that if you are not a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, if you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior, when you die, you go to hell. But that's the reality of the word of God. And, and this says, cursed is the one who confirms all these words, does not confirm these by observing them. As you just can't leave today unless, if you have any question any question at all. You can't leave today. Well, come and see me afterwards and say, you know what? I'm not really a Christian. I haven't really given my life over to Jesus Christ. Please, I want to do that. That would just make my day. And all the people said, amen. amen. Now, 28. I do love God. He really does know us. Because we just went through several verses of, you're going to be cursed if you do this. You'll be cursed if you do this. You'll be cursed, 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 consequence, consequence, consequence. We get to 28 and he's like, you know what? Let me lighten it up a little bit with some blessing. And I love that. He says, now in 28 verse 1, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And so now he's going to come and he's going to say, uh, there, with, along with the obedience to my commands, there comes incredible blessing. And all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country. That means wherever you go, if you're in the country, blessed. If you're in the city, blessed. Blessed, you know what I notice here? There's no amen after any of these. There is no, there's no place where God says, when we say each one of these things, I want you to affirm that you've heard and that you're going to do, because who needs to do that with a blessing? Who needs to be like, hey, no, no, no blessing. No blessing on me here. I don't want that. God's, God doesn't require them to say or affirm, so shall it be that we be blessed, because we want to be blessed. Don't we want to be blessed? Yes, we do. And so he doesn't require them to say amen. He just makes the statements and he says, you will be blessed in the city and out of the city, wherever you go. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Your basket and your kneading bowl, you know what that means? You'll have plenty to eat, plenty to eat. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. When you come in and when you go out, 
in and out. When you go to work, when you come home, when you go to school, when you come home, when you go to the park, when you come home, wherever you go, if you're home or if you're at work, wherever you go, you'll be blessed. I want that. Who wants that? Excellent. All right. Almost everybody. Not everybody raised their hand. I'm just saying. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face, and they shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. You know, I love this picture. It's this idea for them that their enemies were going to come in a united front, but they would all just run away scattered because of the defeat that they would face in battle. Now, there is a story that shows this really well. If you want to at some point turn to, not, not now, I'll tell you the story, but Judges 7 is the story of Gideon. And we talked about this a little while ago where he was facing like 120,000 men and he had like 30,000 and God said, no, that's too much. You have too many men. If you win this battle or, or when you win this battle, um, you'll just take all the credit. And God says, the glory really is mine. And so he whittles them down to 300 guys to take on 120,000 uh, enemy soldiers. And so uh, God, and, and Gideon, honestly, Gideon does not know how, he's like, I, well, great, thank you, God, thank you. I've got 300 guys, how are we gonna do this? I don't know how. And he give, God gives Gideon a vision. And, and then he explains the vision, thankfully, because it was like a loaf of bread and some crazy, and you're like, how am I gonna beat 120,000 guys with a loaf of bread? But he gives them the interpretation of the vision and basically what he tells them. And then Gideon comes and he says to the guys, he goes, all right, I'm going to take all 300 of you and 100 go this way, 100 go this way, and 100 go this way and take a trumpet and a jar with fire in it. And we're going to surround the camp. And when I blow my trumpet, with me and my 100 guys blow our trumpets and we're going to break open our vases so that the fire shows, then you guys do it and then you guys do it. And then when you say it, you're going to yell out and say, the Lord, the Lord is God, right? And so... That's what they did. They, they surrounded this huge camp and uh, they, um, they blew the trumpet, broke the, the jars and all the fire showed um, and they did it all around. They blew the trumpets and the enemy army woke up and saw all of these flaming pots of fire and thought that they were like huge groups of men and they became terrified and they all just started to like run in different directions. And you know what it says they did? They scattered, just like he said right here. They were one united front and then Gideon and his men were obedient to do exactly what God said, which by the way, must've sounded crazy to them, 300 versus 120,000 with a, with a trumpet and a pot of fire. And God said, no, it'll work. It'll work because I'm going to scatter them just like I said I would. And that's exactly what he does. And you know what? I do hold on to this because there are going to be times in your life where you're going to feel like the enemy is coming against you, like the enemy of your soul, but also the enemy of your project or work or whatever it is. And they're going to come in. And God is like, but if you trust me, so I'm going to, they're going to go out. It's going to say, come in of one mind. And all of a sudden, did you ever see this happen? Have you ever seen like somebody, uh, they come in and they disagree with whatever you've got going on, but pretty soon they're just infighting with each other and you're just kind of sitting there and, and you've not really even said much. And they all can't agree with themselves. And then it becomes a whole big thing. And what do they came in as one? But they go out scattered because God says, just trust me, do what I say and trust me. And the Lord will command the blessings on you 
in your storehouses and all that which you set your hands on, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord our God is giving you. And the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And then all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. Another story which you, would, which you see in, in Joshua chapter 2. It's when they finally actually go into the land, um, and they go up against the city of Jericho. It's the first battle. And so um, when they get there, um, before, they, you know, before the walls come tumbling down, if you know, you know the story of the song, um, they send in some spies into the city, and there's this woman, Rahab, who takes in the spies. But I want to read you this one part. It says, uh, she says, and she's talking to the spies who come in, and this is verse 10 of chapter two. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of the land of Egypt. By the way, when was that? 40 years before this moment. For when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, when you utterly destroyed them. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted Neither did there remain in any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. He says that I will, they will all be afraid of you. And really, I mean, we're talking Deuteronomy to Joshua chapter 2. This isn't a long period of time. God demonstrates that because they do exactly what he says. And they said, our, we were so afraid, our hearts melted within us. There was no courage left. And so again, we see God's word fulfilled just shortly after this. Many of us are going to face trials and tribulations that God says, please put your faith in me. Put your trust in me. Jesus would say that very thing. I tell you these things so that you will have peace. In this world, you will have tribulations, but I have overcome the world. He says it so we will have peace. And the Lord will grant you, verse 11, plenty of goods and the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestock and in the produce of the ground in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. And the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give rain. I actually just highlighted that because I just love the way that is. Uh, um, God considers rain his good treasure, especially in the word they're going to go into is an agrarian lifestyle, they desperately needed the rain. For your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. I just like that verse. I just like the verse that God says, I'm going to make you the head, not the tail. I prefer to be the head and not the tail. Um, so that's going to be one of my new life verses. It just reminds me of the sled dogs, the saying about sled dogs. If you're not the lead dog, the view never changes. All right. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. And you shall be above only and not beneath. You, if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. And so he says, if you observe and do the commands of the Lord your God, all of these blessings, remember, all these blessings will be upon you. The commands themselves are blessings, but on top of that, there will be blessings that come with the blessings of being under his word. But I could see that you might sit here and say, oh, oh wait a minute now, so what you're saying is, uh, if I want to get these blessings, 
I have to do what God says. I mean, I have to follow all these commands and rules and all these things if I want to get these blessings. I mean, that's not really fair, is it? And God says, remember that the love of God is this, to keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The person who looks at this and says, what, I haven't had to keep all these rules just to get blessings, are looking at the rules, the commands, as some hardship to endure rather than blessings to be accepting of, to say, when God says, here are the blessings so that it will be well with you. He keeps using that phrase in Deuteronomy, by the way. So it will be well with you. Not because I want you to um, say, uh, oh, that God is so mean, but I guess I have to do what he says. It's because he loves you and wants it to be well with you. So we need to reject this idea of like, oh, I guess I have to follow all these rules if I want to be blessed. It's, I get to follow these commandments and be blessed. And in that, I'm blessed. And embrace that. Now, I'm going to stop for today. Well, I'm already over time. How did that happen? Sean. I'm, I'm going to stop, actually, because the next section, it's 54 verses of curses, is how what I've named it. <laughs> 54 verses of curses. And let me tell you what, they're heavy. So I thought I'd just save them all up for family church. Won't that be fun? Uh, don't worry. I mean, God's already starting to work on my heart for these 54 verses of curses. And so um, I'm excited to see what he's got in store and how he wants to talk about these things. Um, but we're going to stop there today, and we're going we're gonna to stop on the blessings. Um, and the idea that we can be blessed by, by being obedient. Blessings come with obedience. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we just thank you so much for uh, the warning signs that you've given to us, the places where you tell us if, if you do these things, if you are disobedient, there are consequences that come. Lord, rather than curses, Lord, let us see them as warnings to us before we make those decisions, before we do those things, Lord. Let us cling to your commands because you are good and they are good. So we thank you, Lord, we pray. Uh, as we go out of this place today, Lord, that we would have heard something today that we would take away, that you will, uh, as a little seed, plant in our hearts that will grow into something mighty this week. Uh, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who has heard me say a false confession of faith, Lord, and now are wondering whether or not they're a Christian at all, just because they say they are and come to church, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be heavy on their hearts right now, convicting them, uh, of the idea that they need to ex ask for forgiveness of their sins and, and, and be forgiven and accept you as their Lord and Savior today. Lord, that they might fully embrace the freedoms as we celebrate Memorial Day weekend, Lord, the freedom that comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.